Coming up on another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast, we're joined by a very unique guest. It's Glenorchy Knights head coach, James Sherman. Glenorchy, of course, in the NPL in Tasmania. We are delving into the Tasmanian football scene in this podcast. A little bit different uh, with the topic, I guess. And speaking of topics, we discussed a range of different topics with James uh, in Tasmania at the moment. A few different uh, maybe concerns that have been raised recently, but also some, some interesting mechanisms that have been put in place as well. Uh, and also some other big topics uh, outside of the NPL. South Hobart and their national second tier aspirations. Uh, A-League expansion is always something which is mooted with uh, Tasmania as well. So we discussed that with James too. Uh, and then also just an insight into his playing career and his coaching career. Funny enough, uh, some Adelaide United fans might find this one interesting and you'll hear about it later in the podcast. But he did actually have a trial with the Reds uh, when he was a lot younger as well. But um, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone else. It's myself, Tanner Coe, joins me as well, our Tasmanian uh, football writer too, and uh, James Sherman. And it's all coming up right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. And tonight we've got something a little bit different um, from what we usually do because we're taking our interest down uh, south, real south uh, of Australia, down to Tasmania. And tonight I'm joined by our Tasmanian football expert, I'd call him, uh, in Tanner Code. First of all, Tanner, how are you going? Good, mate. I'm going to call myself an expert, but we'll go with that. That's sure. Well, I'll call you an expert. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's go with that. But, um, Tanner joins me and we've got a special guest, uh, on with us tonight and it's Glenorchy Knights head coach, James Sherman. And we've got a few things uh, that we want to ask James about. James, how are you going? I'm well. Thank you, guys. It's great to be here. All right. Let's, uh, let's get into it. So, so first of all, uh, just because it's topical at the moment, um, unfortunately, we have to start on a little bit of a downer, but Glenorchy, uh, James unfortunately went down to, to South Hobart 2-0 in the, in the NPL semi-finals, uh, on the weekend. Now, I'm sure we don't want to touch on this too long, James, but, uh, just your overall thoughts, season coming to an end in the semi-finals, but, uh, making it that far and, and, uh, I guess your, your overall thoughts on, on the 2023 season. Yeah, disappointed to get knocked out, of course. Um, we felt that, you know, it was a really good opportunity for us to, to get it potentially into a final and, and finish on a high. Obviously not to be. Um, I think we were, we were well beaten on Saturday. We didn't have enough of, um, the attacking threat that you need in, in a semi final uh, and it showed. Yeah. Um, so. Let's 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 move on now uh, to to more about that finals uh, game and just just the final series in general. So we've obviously had with Tasmania. It's been first past the post was was what everyone seemed to uh, be going by all year, and and that that was what it seemed to be seemed to be happening. Um, and then football Tasmania uh, suddenly kind of changed the system for for a final series. Um, just just your thoughts, I guess, as a coach who was participating and had a team participating in that as well. How, how did you deal with, I guess, that that sudden change of knowing it was just first past the post and then, you know, okay, our season will finish at this date and then all of a sudden having to deal with that change and, and prepare your team for a knockout football? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I mean, we got the heads up reasonably early in the season that it was something that was going to be returning. I think the culture especially throughout the MPL TAS and within the coaching fraternity down there, it was definitely seen as a separate competition. So, you know, with all respect to Devonport, I think, you know, they're the champions of MPL TAS and the final series at the end is essentially a reward for finishing in the top four and then the opportunity to win a, win another trophy. So, yeah, I, I don't subscribe too much to the idea that it was um, an about turn from football TAS I think it was reasonably clear and obvious that it was an extra competition and it wasn't necessarily seen as, you know, the competition that the champion was determined for. Yeah, right. So, because I know in, in WA, they do something similar and they, they call it, they don't call it like a final series. They call it kind of like a final four, kind of like a yeah. knockout sort yeah. of championship. Yeah, yeah. So, 
it's it's just a rebrand. Like we had it, um, we had it in 2015, and it was just called the League Cup. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's the third competition. It just shouldn't have been called a final series. Is that is that something that? Yeah. So is that something where maybe there was some confusion and maybe people were a little bit frustrated by it being called a final series? Or yeah, without a doubt. Without yeah. A doubt. And I think there was some genuine frustration there from a lot of people, in ter- you know, with the with the setup of the whole thing. But really, if the name was just different, it wouldn't have been a problem. Why don't you think that um, football tabs would adapt to what Football Victoria do, like how they do their final series, where it actually will just determine the uh, end of year champion rather than just a knockout um, tournament just for another trophy? It just seems so pointless and so meaningless. Um, yeah, I, I disagree. I, I like the idea of having a third competition. I think if you've just got a league season and then a cup that goes in the middle of that, uh, you know, for me, that's not enough. I think having the three trophies there is important. Um, the, the setup in terms of the format, I mean, culturally around the world, it's first past the post. Like that, that's, that's our sport. I mean, Australian, um, sporting demographic suggests that we finals are what get people in the gate and it's part of our culture uh, each state's different each federation's different i'm not against our setup um I, I like having the competition at the end of the year and i like that if you're the first past the post in the in the league that you're the champions yeah because uh, we always, you know, you know, in New South Wales, that's what that's what they've done this year as well. Um, and it's still there was still intrigue. It still kind of went down the final day with with Arpier and and uh, and Rockdale Linden there. But um, moving on, we've we've had some other recent news in in Tasmania. Some some major news. Tony Pinata uh, has taken over as as the Football Tas CEO. Um, was involved at Sydney FC, Perth Glory. He's got a very uh, high-profile resume in terms of Australian football. Um, as a as a head coach and, and someone who's been involved in the Tasmanian game for quite a while, um, what do you see? You know um, that appointment as doing for for Tasmanian football, and then also what what would you like, I guess, to see done a little bit differently? Yeah, yeah. I suppose the benefits for me are that Tony's obviously been in this sort of position and held this role before with, I think, Football Victoria. So he's going to come across a lot of the hurdles that uh, you would imagine consisted throughout the federations. I mean, I think he spent some time at Wellington Phoenix as well. So for all intensive purposes, you know, there are a lot of similarities between the game in New Zealand and, and the game in Tasmania, you know, in terms of the travel and how we're a little bit isolated. So I'd like to think that there's an opportunity that, We've now got someone that is able to draw on some really similar uh, past experiences. Uh, yeah, and in terms of you know, the next step, I suppose, you know, you'll have to touch down and get to know the the general vibe, I suppose, throughout the community, and I'm sure you'll do a great job. So where does that start, I guess, for you? Does it start with looking at the NPL and, and some changes that can be made there? Does it start with looking at grassroots? Where, where does that begin? Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, for sure around the NPL setup, I think we've got a good opportunity to to make the standard of the league a little bit better. I've got some ideas around how that can be done. I, I think we've got an opportunity to maximise that you know that area in particular um, through the media. I think we've got an opportunity to get a few more people engaged in the game. Hopefully, get a few more people to the game, um, and then from there, you know, you know, there's a lot of administration areas that we suffer from down here and I think that there's a lot of good people involved in the sport now that that it's it's not going to take a lot to really get the grassroots up and running well. You pointed to some administrative uh, challenges, I guess. Where What are those in, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, because we are so expansive down here, you know, you've got your northern end of the state, your northwestern, your north, um, that's a little different to a lot of other states in terms of they'd be split up regionally, whereas we don't we don't necessarily do that. We, we're under the one umbrella. There are junior and youth areas that are separate, but in terms of the north, um, the northwest and the south, football has run the top tier in sort of one competition there, and and that can affect the second tier as well. Um, so that's where we are a little bit different, I think, in terms of the expectations on second tier clubs. 
Um, I think the expectations of the MPL clubs sometimes don't help the clubs themselves, but that's all part of the process, I think, of being an NPL club. So would something, some sort of structure where maybe the second division or maybe it is a top division, something like that is is set up more regionally? How, how, how do you go about that kind of, I guess, geographical that's, challenge? Yeah, That's what it's been in the past. That's what it's been in the past. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I think the NPL for, format now is excellent. I think that's the best version of a top tier that we can have. Um, there are more, I think there are some more administrative issues in the second tier because clubs are either struggling to get into a position where they could be an NPL club or they just don't have a desire to be. And I think, you know, if you've got those two hurdles, I think then that also probably anchors your top tier to a degree. Um, and I just think that ultimately, like, you're always going to have a stump you know, a stumbling block or a pretty difficult conversation if if the, those two things are a problem. What do you feel that we need to do, though, when it comes to expansion with um, teams from the Southern and the Northern Championships that want to actually be involved? Like, we've seen it collapse, like, with uh, Northern Rangers, for example. They were in the MPL for a bit and then they dropped back down to the Championship. Um, we've seen the inclusion with Monsessie United coming up from the Championship and obviously that hasn't worked out this season. Eva, like, where do we now go from here? Um, in terms of the NPL, look, any league in the world, you have sides that run away with it consistently and you have sides that struggle. Quite often the sides that struggle are new to the league. Lonnie United, um, you know, that's the case there. I think we've got an opportunity with NPL Taz to increase the overall playing standard, in particular for the eight sides that are currently in it. You know, around the player point system, I think it would be really interesting to see, you know, what the league would look like if the playing points were increased from 180 to 200. I think it'd be really interesting to see some of the criteria on player value relaxed, you know, in particular around players that are in between the ages of maybe 19, 17. You know, you you got a couple guys there that are almost locked out of an NPL setup because they would be too many points. And I think the whole point of the NPL player points was to promote development of youth. And then when you get some instances, you know, where a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old comes to your club and they're worth seven or eight points that's a lot of points for, mm, for mm. someone that isn't an experienced player. And so there's some contradictions there. They'd be the two things that I think would be really easy to make a big change instantly. I mean, what's difficult for us, and this is what you know, what my point around the second division and its setup can look like, is that for a long time, NPL clubs have been involved in the second tier as well. So that's traditionally where the reserves have played. That makes it hard for promotion relegation because, you know, what happens if an MPL side finishes first and those sorts of things like, yeah, but they're, they're all they're all things that a state the size of ours and with a playing pool the size of ours have to manage. Mm. Yeah. No, it's a lot of, a lot of really interesting points. Um, just on, you know, um, you mentioned the, yeah, I guess the structure and, and the pyramid as well um is that something where you know we see we see it uh, with a lot of the other npls i think you know npl northern new south wales they've only got basically one league as well uh similar to to tasmania which i guess is probably probably fair enough given given the region but we see around the country there is promotion and relegation between between the npls um whereas i guess tasmania doesn't yet but how do, how do you see that is that something which you know, it, it's kind of like how people see the A-League where it's like, you know, we need promotion relegation and it needs to come in as soon as possible or is it something that isn't, that you can see isn't as logistically easy to to implement? Now, I think it's something that we've got to look to put in. I do, yeah, for sure. I think there are, in particular in the, in the second tier, there are a couple of clubs that are really doing as much as they possibly can to get themselves in a position, you know, to meet MPL criteria. What what I, I struggle with is that without having that 
promotion every season on the relegation every season, if you just get your year off by a year or two, you, I mean, your application wrong by a year or two, you can miss out. And so you might have put three or four years in worth of work as a club to then just miss out by one year in terms of getting in or not. And then all that can go, you know, whether you develop your youth players and they now get to a point where they're able to play senior football and they want to stay at your club, but your club doesn't have a pathway into the into the top division, that's a shame. Like that, for, for me, that's systemically mm. wrong. Yeah. We can't encourage and then support clubs to develop and then operate in, you know, a really positive way and then it can just be cut out and undermined because there's no pathway into the NPL or the Women's Super League. But, I mean, and again, you two, you two follow, follow the game in Tasmania and, and involved, you know, way more than I am. But, I mean, I, I have a look at the league and I think eight teams, like, and I think, you know, 21 games in the regular season. I mean, even, you know, where I am in South Australia, it's only 22 in the regular season as well. You know, I think in general in the NPL, teams aren't playing enough games. Probably, probably in New South Wales, you've got you've got thirty games, so okay. But you know, I just I just find it a little bit bizarre. I mean, only eight teams, you know. Um, so could is it even just a case of you know, can we expand the league and and open it up to twelve teams? You know, yes, certainly. Like I mean, look, I think, and this is where I come back to as well. Like, if we open it up from one hundred and eighty points to two hundred points. Clubs are going to be able to get a, a little bit more quality in, hopefully a little bit more depth in. If you then open up, you know, what a player or how players valued is measured in particular around, I think that 19 to 17 year old bracket, you've potentially got a lot more scope then to get some of your, your top end like players in or your top end 21s if, if they fancy moving and getting an opportunity to play in the top league. Like that's a possibility as well. Uh, I mean, we're just in a in an environment where because there is that scope to travel, like if you're not playing in Hobart, you're travelling to Launceston, so it's two and a half hours on a bus, mm. you know, minimum, and Devonport's four. So that's a big turnoff for a lot of players. Mm. But that's that's the scope here. Like if you want to be a top-level footballer, that's what you have to do, deter some. That's just how it is, you know. Is there a way potentially, you know, fixtures could be scheduled or the league could be structured in a way to accommodate, I guess, for, for, for those travel problems? Yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. Um, I'm just more of the opinion that, you know, if that's part of being a top level footballer is that you, mm. you, you, you commit to something, you know, if that means that you've got to put a little bit of time away, then that's what you have to do rather than look to, change the whole system to try and get potentially a handful of players to play um, in the top tier. Yes, mm. sorry, I just cut you off there. Um, just getting back to the uh, MPO under-21s, did you say that there were player points uh, which came uh, with that league as well? No, no, there's not. There's not oh. player points for the 21s. My, like, so my point was that there's guys that, are playing in some under-21s teams mm. that can't get in an MPL side, that could start at other ones and would oh, probably okay. and would take that opportunity. You know, it could be the mid-year window that they might get an opportunity, but because they're 19, they're worth X amount of points and clubs can't fit them in. For me, it's a case of, well, if you reduce that, then you get a talented 19-year-old on the pitch somewhere. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And then also, you could say those guys who are in that age bracket and they are good enough to start for an NPL club, well, maybe they can't start in the NPL, but if there was, a, I guess, a viable second division that did have promotion, this is probably what we're coming back to, you know, they could they could move down there and actually start for a for a team which maybe has ambitions to, to move into the NPL, right? Yeah, certainly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, there's that too. I guess... Um, just from a communication aspect uh, in, in Tasmania at the moment, particularly from Football Tasmania, um, do you feel, and I understand you're not, you know, you're not some, some media person by any stretch, but do you feel like the communication side from the governing body in the state needs to improve? There's a lot of issues around the communication. Like, I mean, I, look, I can only speak from my clubs um, 
I should probably say from my own viewpoint. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, throughout the league, the other NPL coaches, it's a similar sort of thing. There's there's a frustration there with some of the communication. I don't think the um, rapport within the football fraternity is at an amazing level at the moment. You're never going to make everyone happy. Mm. It's not going to happen. Um, but I do think that some small little improvements would go a long way. I mean, we, we're pretty good at making mountains out of molehills down here too. Like, you know, yeah. I've got to be honest. There's a lot of people with pretty high expectations that don't necessarily put in the work for it. So it's interesting, James, because you touched on it a couple of times. So is it something maybe with the, the culture uh, surrounding the game a little bit, which is it a little bit divided in your opinion at the moment? Uh, look, it really is divided. It really is divided. Uh, I mean, but that's because I think a large part of the second tier in particular is quite social. Mm-hmm. And is it is it because of that lack of teams maybe not feeling that they can, yeah, kind of move I, I up? I do and, agree, yeah. I think yeah. that, you know, that without having the promotion relegation set up, that, that does aid to mm. a degree that level of... Um, that level of whether you want to call it application to mm. how you run your top team. But at the same time too, like that's just our playing base. Like that's our pool. Similar to Northern New South Wales, we haven't got huge amounts of footballers that are in that demographic of playing senior football that want to play senior football and commit mm. three nights a week and give up half a day or a day to play it. And that and that's fine too. Like absolutely, you, you can't put round pegs in square holes that's just where we're at like that's the conundrum with the top levels in football tasmania and certainly not the club's fault like if they don't want to do that they shouldn't have to do that Mm. but that's just the difficulties of trying to get a second tier to marry up into the first but there's also maybe at a senior level where you're coming from is it is it something with kind of a player education around pathways uh and and letting kind of or allowing players to understand that, you know, that it isn't a social thing. Maybe it is something where, hey, you know, if you come and you commit for three nights a week and you play well and you work hard on the weekend and you do well, you know, there could be other opportunities for you down the line, even outside of Tasmania. Yeah, well, and that's where I think the 21s league is excellent. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you've got, you've literally got that, that sort of that next step of future MPL players mm. before they're MPL players, they see what the requirements are. So it's not just a case of, right, oh, I'm an MPL player now. I've got to, I've got to do this. Is the expectation or this is the requirement? You know, our ta- our most talented youth players are doing that now, which is good, and I like that. I think it's good. And I think there was there was some things going on around today. Um, and me and Tanner were just talking about it off air, but maybe about no prize money for for the winning team uh, of the MPL. Is that? And you, you're smiling, and, and I let you feel free to to clarify this if if you know or, or don't know, but in terms of prize money and stuff, is that something which which um, either either Devonport or South Hobart will get this this week? Whoever wins, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. But from the information that I have had, yeah. it doesn't sound like there's prize money. And if that's the case, what message does that send? Yeah, we yeah. want people to take the football seriously, and we want them to commit to taking it seriously. But where's the reward for it? Other than making a final, which is great. Like that's an achievement. Coaches, players want to be part of it. But clubs that, you know, are putting their hand in their pocket to put teams on the pitch for another couple of games are going, what do we get back for it? And they have every right to ask that. What you know, why? Other than, you know, wanting to play more football and win games, you know, some clubs, you know, have it's their it's their absolute right to say, Why are we doing this? What's what do we get out of it? Do you feel like there's just a a general lack of professional standards, I guess. And look, obviously, it's still semi-professional at the end of the day, but you want to, I guess, try and act as if you're playing in the A-League or as if you're playing, you know, like you are playing like a professional, right? Certainly. I mean, there are times when, when I read comments or a, or I hear, I hear people say, oh, I can't be bothered playing. Like, it's a semi-final or, geez, we've got to travel, and, you know, and it's a final. It's like, for, for, I, I, I'll never understand that. I'll yeah. never understand that. But I appreciate not everyone is of the same view, you know. They've played 21 league games, 
It's, you know, a pre-season on top of that. You know, it's been nine to ten months of football commitment. They don't want to do another two weeks. And I can understand that. I don't agree with it for me. I <laughs> won't run, you know, like it is what it is there, I suppose. But it it doesn't help us change that view if it comes across as a bit of a slapstick effort. Mm. Mm. Tanner, do you have anything on that? Like, what do we, what do you think we need to do just to keep um, these players interested? Because obviously, the expansion um, on having a final series is like a great initiative. But you pointed back to that, you know, what do the clubs get out of it if there's no prize money? It, it just seems like we're just going backwards just with these things. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you just it takes a little bit of time. I mean, it, the, it used to be a competition that was pretty consistent and I don't think people really had any complaints about it. It's just that it's not been endorsed properly so people kind of have the opinion of it or what does it matter? Well, make it the the opposite, you know. Put a little bit of publicity into it. Make it a bit of a better, you know, setup, and people will probably start to buy into it. But I think it's got to stay. Like it can't just go next year. It's mm. got to remain as part of our football season is that you have the league, you have the Lacassage Cup, and you have the, you know, the the competition at the end of the year. It's the, you know, whether it's the top four. I know a handful of years ago, it was the top four MPL sides, and then the Northern Championship winner and the Southern Championship winner um, came into the pool, and then it was drawn out of a hat. Sometimes uh, with, with the imports um, on the mainland, I've noticed, um, like, you know, they might come from England or, like, from another um, country. Like, where do you think that Tasmania can go a bit better when it comes to, like, getting, like, a nice high-profile import? I can only talk on m how I've gone about my imports this year. So this year was really the first year we did imports and we got mm -hmm. we got our three boys in. We got them in from, um, from Canada and we got them in, out of the university system there. And so, you know, they have some similar sort of hurdles as to what we have here, but there's some really, really talented footballers there, like really talented footballers, and they're just desperate for an opportunity to play somewhere else or they're desperate to go into an environment where they potentially can use it as a springboard, and that's exactly how we use the MPL TAS. Now, I mean, Jackson Gardner, the keeper that we've got, um, you know, has garnered all sorts of, attention and put in some fa fantastic performances and the the outcome of that is that you know he does the goalkeeper training for my junior and my academy players they're at the MPL games mm. Mm. because he's you know from another part of the world he's a great character he's an excellent goalkeeper and he's garnered some attention there he's got kids captivated coming to football same thing with Daniel Sagner you know there's a guy that you know, is a former Canadian youth international he's now playing in Tasmania for a season and he's an he's an absolutely fantastic footballer, a brilliant footballer, but he's not going to cost eight hundred dollars to fifteen hundred dollars or something like that, which is some of the wages that are going around at you know those really high level MPL setups, mm. which is great too. Like if we had the money, it'd be brilliant, mm. but it's just not here. Yeah, yeah, totally fair enough. Um, it's interesting you're talking about. Um, you know, one of your imports, how it comes down and it's actually, it helps bring younger boys to, to the games and girls to the games. Um, and to, I guess, connect the club a little bit. Do you feel in what, in terms of in Tasmania? Because, you know, I see this a little bit here where I am, where, and we see it, you know, in the A League at the moment, uh, with Adelaide United and, and with a player like Nestor Irinkunda and every time he, basically gets ready to come on like everyone is just like yeah when's he coming on when's he coming on and it's almost that it's that uh i was talking about this uh recently with daniel mcbreen uh, who we just had on the podcast in our last episode and it's this idea that australians really love to see their own so i guess when we talk about the under 21s league that that we were just discussing before how important is that because then you can i guess develop those players to go into the first team and then people your club volunteers your people who go and watch the club home games every week when they play at home, you know, are seeing those guys come through and really seeing, I guess, a almost like a representation of them on the pitch, right? Yeah, certainly. I mean, and if your club's in the position where you've got the quality to do that, or you, you know, your elite level youth players develop into first team players, that's it. Like that's the 
that's the dream. Like that's the whole. That's been the whole purpose of the player point system. But I guess. You- sorry, sorry, James, to cut you off. I guess my question is: Is that something which Tasmania could look at as? Can we double down on on this under twenty ones idea, on this youth development idea? Is this a way that we can captivate more people? Yeah, to a degree. I'm a big. I'm a big believer in probably going the other way and opening it up. Like for me, you uh-huh. open the player points up a little bit. You get, you know, you can only have your three visa players. That's fine. Mm. But you might be able to go and get, you know, someone that's not a visa player in and make the side a little bit better again. So the quality mm. of the first team improves. And I think that's probably a better way of doing it. And then when you, you know, you're looking for, you know, the finished player or sorry, players that can come in and add some squad depth and you look to the young players, you're able to do that. But I think for a large periods you can't do that because the cost in terms of the points they they're just not mm. you know you can't fit them in unless unless you've got you know years and years and years of player development in there and you you know your points list is really strong you know like we had in the final on Saturday we had six academy players in our first team squad and you know that's a record for us but it was five years ago six years ago the club made a big decision to start redirecting its attention towards player development, and we're there. But that's only really started to happen this year and maybe the end of last year. For the seasons before that, it was the opposite. You know, we were really looking at player recruitment of older players, and we were fortunate that, you know, the player points wasn't in at that time, and then we had the COVID year. But, yeah, since then, it's it's now starting to show some some fruition, but I'm still a big believer in... You try and make your top tier as strong as possible and you do that by opening the points up to a degree and you do that by making it easier for the 17 to 19-year-olds that aren't quite there, potentially getting there via another avenue. Mm. Yeah, very uh, very interesting indeed. Um, mention how it took you all that time to really kind of see the fruits of the development, right? So, is it? Do you feel just amongst the kind of culture in in Tasmanian football that there is maybe just a lack of patience and a lack of, you know, understanding with certain with certain elements? Yeah, but I mean, we're adverse to change down here in a lot of ways. Yeah, and because because of the you know the landscape down here and how we're quite small in terms of the playing pool, but how we're quite spread out in terms of Mm. the geography, there's a lot of hurdles there. So, you know, Mm. clubs are run by volunteers and at the end of the season, some of them are fed up and burnt out and tired and just had enough. They don't necessarily want to put more in there, but that's where I suppose taking some of the shackles off the clubs from the federation will aid that, you know, your entry fees are reduced, you know, you don't have to have as many volunteers as a match manager and things like that, you know, lots of ways around it. But I do, I think that, like, we've got to hopefully just support clubs a little bit more in terms of accepting that this third competition is a good thing and it should be a good thing and then we want to make it a good thing, but it'll take Mm. a little bit of time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think it's very well said. Um, moving on uh, to to something a little bit different. So we, we've got, obviously got the national second tier potentially, you know, uh, coming in 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 twenty twenty four, and there's the process is still ongoing. But I I think one one application which which caught everyone's everyone off guard a little bit, um, you know, uh, around Australia was was South Hobart's. Um, and by by all accounts are still you know uh, in the process and are still potentially vying. For a spot in the competition, um, and I, look, I don't know how much you can, I guess, speak to this, but as as a coach of of, of a rival club and, and stuff, and looking from the outside looking in, are, are you surprised by by their aspirations? Um, and do you, I guess, do you do you actually hope maybe that they do get in because maybe it actually creates a pathway that we've just been talking about for for these younger players? I, I would go as far to say that South Hobart. Are probably as well a run football club as there is outside the A League. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. They've got a, an exceptionally strong academy, and they have done for you know a decade now. They really do a fantastic job there. They've produced 
a handful of very talented youth players. Mm-hmm. The first team, you know, um, have a lot of synergy with with the academy set up too, and that, and the first team always operate at a pretty good standard. So yeah, it's of no surprise to me that they're in the position that they are. They're all, you know, from the outside looking in, they always seem to be about you know improving and wanting to be better. So I know it's like I said, it's no surprise that they're in the position they are. You know, in the football aspect, the technical components, they're really really strong, especially for the area that we're in. And you know, in terms of the administrative side. They're exceptionally good operators, so they've got all all the right ingredients there for a successful application. Yeah, no, uh, fair enough. And I guess the other big topic um, is is the A League, um, and also well, we've had news of expansion, which was to Auckland and to Canberra. Um, uh, but there's always, you know, there's always Tasmania as a possibility. Where, where do you sit on on that as as Tasmania having a team? potentially in the A-League down down the track? Scratch my head as to why it hasn't happened yet or got as, you know, almost n- non-existent. And I just, uh, from personally, I mean, and, and the large, the large, you know, feeling down here is we need the stadium. We need the stadium. Mm. It's got to be rectangle. Yeah, mm. we, haven't, we haven't got a sniff because we don't have a stadium. We haven't got a facility down here that can host football matches. We've got facilities that can host sporting events, but we're different. Our our sport, our culture, you know, you can't just stick it in a big oval stadium and then expect people to enjoy it like they would if it was in a rectangular stadium that's purpose-fit for, for what we offer. Tanner, do you want to just expand on that? Because I know that's something that you've mentioned to me about maybe the yeah the lack of rectangular stadium, and we're we're seeing obviously now with with the AFL and and what they're trying to do with with Tasmania as well. Do you think it just it just seems further away, like given the current climate with uh, the AFL now funding uh, the stadium at Macquarie Point? That why isn't more money being invested into a rectangular stadium? As you said, does it just seem like you know soccer is always going to be uh, number two when it comes to Tasmania and the government funding? Or just any funding for that matter, because obviously um, we don't get enough. Look, look, I think the funding situation is starting to turn to a degree. I do. I think that uh, one thing football teams have done very well in the last twenty-four months is, without a doubt, there's been a lot of um, you know strategic planning and some serious funding gone into facility development. I do believe that you know the state government, you know, and the federal government and things like that are really starting to play a bit more ball than they ever have done in the past. Mm-hmm. Our issue down here will always be um, that the AFL have their hooks into large majority of the purses and a large majority of the media that really pedal where a lot of the attention goes, and that's always going to be our problem here. It always will, and there's no point kind of getting all bitter and twisted about it. All we've got mm. to do is just keep the axe at the grind and keep working at it. I mean, at most of the time, the AFL get a large part, part of the pie and then we get the crumbs. Well, if they get a big part of the pie, hopefully the crumbs are a bit bigger too. <laughs> you know, And eventually we get kind of what, what we need, what we deserve. Mm. Yep. And uh, I, you can't say that, uh, you know, Tasmania is alone in that regard. I think uh, all the states are probably... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, wondering. It's, it's, it's not, it's not just an us problem. It's mm. a we problem. We've all got it. <laughs> you know, nationwide. It's you know, it's it's a frustration. But that, you know, compared where things were 10, 15, 20 years ago, we're moving in the right direction. We just got to be positive about it. Mm. Yeah, and no, I agree. Um, yeah, more positivity in the game. And you know, I'm you know, I'm someone that can be a bit of a cynic at times for sure. Um, but you know, it's, you're right. I think, you know, you got to try and, you know, promote what you've got and, you know, try and really espouse that, you know, Hey, you know, this is our product. It's, it's good, you know, come watch it. Um, and you know, if, if, if people don't want to watch it or they don't like it, you, you can't, sometimes you can't change people's minds, right? Either. Yeah. A hundred percent. And we need the balance too, you know, Christian, we need people that don't mind, you know, voicing their concerns mm-hmm. and voicing them a lot of the time because, Without that, you know, we don't necessarily have voice in certain aspects mm. that we need to make sure we have it. But I do think it's important too that, you know, we, we, we make sure that we don't just end up getting too down about the whole situation because what's the alternative? 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, all right. I wanted to talk a little bit more about your coaching and playing career actually as well. Uh, while we got you here. Um, so first of all, I have to ask you about this. Uh, 2021, um, the premiership for, for Gnorky. Um, just, <laughs> just talk us through that because I've seen it referred to as, I guess, Tasmanian football's Agrero moment. Um, as well. And I guess, you know, um, the trophy as well, it was at, it was actually at, uh, uh, Kingbra, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, because Kingbra were playing Devonport. And yeah, you guys got up in the end and, 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 and you won the premiership. Um, just, yeah, just talk us through that because that would have been, particularly as a coach, uh, a bit of a crazy situation to, to be involved in. Yeah, well, I mean, for the last and the se- so the second last week before the season ended, we played Devonport. So mm. if I think I think we needed to win. If we hadn't done, then it was over. I'm almost certain that they um they brought the trophy down. We we had them at home. They brought the trophy down and they had the ribbons on it, and, and we managed <laughs> we managed to roll them. Yeah. And so that kept it open. And then obviously we got a win in the last game, and they got beat. So it was a six point turnaround in the last two games. Mm. Um, yeah, I believe that yeah the trophy might have been half an hour away and we managed to get it back after a a little amount of time and yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Is that um I mean what's 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 the feelings going through your head as a coach, like going into I guess the last, you know, ten, fifteen minutes on that day and you know, there's a chance you kinda of come from nowhere to win to win to win the premiership? Yes. Um so, you know, pretty pretty much I tried, you know, to just focus ultimately on the things that we could control and that was our match against Lonnie City rather than worry about what was happening down the road and mm. you know it was just a little bit of a case of if something major happened down there that would affect how you know how things stood then we needed to know know about it I, I think it was pretty close down there too maybe a couple of late goals um we we scored pretty quick in the second half and in ter- that in terms of that season too we, we, you know defensive machine I think we held the record for seven consecutive clean sheets in the Tassie MPL. You know, we was one nil monsters there and we didn't feel like... We if I'm not mistaken, to... I think you beat Devonport in that in that six-point game one nil as well. Correct. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's that was the situation and I think it, and in the last sort of five minutes, we were one nil up and they were two nil down... Uh, Three two down, perhaps, or two one down, something like that. And so, mm-hmm. essentially, we could have drawn the game; we still would have been champions. So, we had a little buffer there. This is the case for making sure that we just held out. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, what about what about yourself and your connection to the club? Because you you played there, and now you're coaching as well. Um, I guess just just describe to us, you know, what what Glenorchy actually is like as a club, because I think a lot of our you know, we will have a few, of course, Tasmanian listeners, but I think as well, you know, for for others on the mainland, just to just to get a better understanding of of the club and and its, I guess, its values, its identity. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's one of those really traditional um, football clubs in terms of it was built around the community first. You know, so the Croatian community mm. when that when they arrived in Hobart, um, you know, wanted to set up home again, and essentially that's what it's still very much like. We've got fantastic people on the committee whose parents or family members were part of literally setting the place up. So, you know, there might be second or third generation families that are involved with the place and that still has a very big feel about it. Um, They're always present. They're always there. We make sure that, you know, that's always acknowledged. It's an exceptionally good football club in terms of making people feel welcome really, really makes my job easier when you've got first-team players and wives that, you know, are sitting there for their first game and there are other players' wives or committee members that go out of their way to make them feel welcome. And ultimately, that's, you know, as good a picture as I can give in terms of what the place is like. Mm. We've started to really turn the corner in the last five years in regards to how we want to operate and the the professionalism that we want to strive for, you know, whilst knowing that we are still very much a community club and semi-professional in essence. Um, but, yeah, like I'm, I'm super proud of in particular where we were in 2019 to where we are now. Massive, and that's down to the fantastic work of the board and the amazing support that we have, you know, really throughout the place. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in terms of your playing career, um, now there's something I came across today, which, which I actually had, you know, no idea about. Um, and I think you were stunned when, when I, when I remind you about it off air, but you actually had a trial with Adelaide United, uh, about what, 16 years ago now? I think some, something or rather like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, just give us a bit of a, uh, a bit of a spiel, I guess, about that. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I'd been playing in the Victorian Premier League for, you know, maybe 10 or so games and garnered some attention and yeah, you know. Just had a couple of phone calls from some people and said, yeah. you know, there's this opportunity. Would you be interested in doing it? I, I, you know, it was a no-brainer. So, of course, I think I think Vidi was in charge, and I'm not sure if Cozzy had maybe just been relieved not long before it. Um, but, yeah, it was, so I went down for their pre-season, and that was really good. Like, there were some great footballers there at the time, and I really enjoyed the week. Obviously, nothing came of it, but that's because I was rubbish. <laughs> really, I'm so hanging yourself, James. Come on, yeah. you still play. <laughs> um, so yeah, look, I was just fortunate enough to be given the opportunity and really enjoyed it. You feel like you still get something out of that, though, even if you know you, you go for a trial and maybe you're not successful. You still, you know, to be around a professional setup. Yeah, mate, hundred percent. I tell you, I can really. For me, it's helped big time in terms of how I manage players because mm. I can sit there and I can talk to a player and I can be honest and say, I know what it's like to be the worst player in the team. and mm. know what it's like to feel like you are well out of your depth. And I can say the you know the opposite of being one of the stronger players in the team. I know how to relate to those players as well. So yeah, I mean that's, you know, the benefit of putting yourself on the line trying to, you know, maximise your potential and plenty of times it didn't work out. But I'm reaping the benefit of it now in terms of my player management and how I work with players. Yeah, there you go. Um, also, played in England for a bit uh, in the lower leagues. Have you got? There seems to be every time we have a uh, an interview uh, on this podcast, someone who's, who's played abroad has got some, you know, maybe crazy, not crazy, or just just bizarre story. Have they got a share? Surely you got you got anything from uh, from your days in England? Um. No, not, not nothing outrageous. No funny story. Cup, you know, I think the first place ended up Margate, and and like I said, I, I really was, you know, pretty average running mill type of footballer. It was very much a case I was a good talker and I could kick people up. Um, <laughs> ended up, I ended up, and I signed for a club called Margate, right? And the local paper there signed, you know, the newspaper said Gate sign a wizard from Oz. Uh, oh, that was a. I thought it was a great play on words and some terrible journalism. <laughs> couldn't have been. Further, couldn't have been further from the truth. I think in my first game, I got booked in the first five minutes, and I got dragged at halftime, and that was about as good as I got. Not so uh, magical then. After all, <laughs> there was no wizard. No wizard. No wizard. <laughs> there you go, wizard from Oz. All right, might be. Might be one for the. Um, for the football Taz commentators next season, introduce uh, introduce James Sherman as the wizard from Oz. Uh, mate, I've got it signed. I've got it framed. And any player that we bring into the club, I make sure that they see it first straight away. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Uh, brilliant. All right. Uh, Tanner, anything else you wanted to, to, to put to James just before we wrap up? Um, just getting back to when it comes to bringing the imports in, does that um, maximise uh, the the player points? Like, is it say I don't know fifty points? Like, if you need to bring someone in from a higher nation, or yeah, yes, certainly. So, I mean, the player point system is worked out. A player's value is worked out in terms of their age, where they were developed as a footballer. So, someone, I think it might be twenty. As soon as you're over twenty three, you don't get any concessions. So, if you're under the age of twenty three, it might. That you, you tend to get a point off every year under that. So someone like Dan Sagno, who's 25 mm. and, you know, developed obviously abroad, he's worth the most amount of points, which is 20 points. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Right. Which is no problem with that. Like I, I'm all for that, making sure that if you're bringing people in, that the maximum points, you've got to make sure that they're good. I think that's, that's super important. You can't just open it up for clubs to go, Willy nilly, and you know, forget about the youth development. If you're gonna maximise your points on a player, make them good. 
make a good so that that person is going to get people through the gate or is going to make your first team operate a really good standard to make the league better. That's important. Uh, you know, like there's no, that's it in a nutshell. You, you got to make sure that you get things right. And that I think the criteria around the player points is helpful in terms of the development, but also creating a good standard. Actually, one yeah. thing I forgot, not a bad Penanka from uh, Roberto Fernandez, uh, Garrido on the weekend. There's a good example of getting your import right. A good import, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he is elite. Mm. He's great to watch. I mm. wish he wasn't as elite when we played them, but he's great to watch every other week. <laughs> he is, you know, he's fantastic. Can't tell me that there aren't kids up on that northwest coast of Tasmania that won't be inspired by some of the goals he scored mm. and won't be inspired by the contact and relationship that they've developed with him in and around the club and won't be inspired to try and, you know, replicate that over the next handful of seasons. And hopefully for Devonport, the benefit is that they get a couple Jets in the first team in four years. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, James, absolute pleasure, mate. We're just interested to to discover more, you know, uh, about 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 some stuff that that's that's happening in in Tasmania at the moment. Uh, and I'm always interested in in what's going on around the country. Um, and yeah, so definitely <laughs> some hard questions there for you. But uh, no, uh, absolute pleasure, uh, and I really appreciate you answering answering them with with a lot of candor. Um, and yeah, then also just opening up about your career there as well. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to remember. Uh, you as the wizard from Oz. From uh... <laughs> This is going to come back and haunt me, isn't it? Oh, I've never lived in this town. Uh, I've, been, I've been fooled by the good guy image of you two, haven't I? Sucked me. <laughs> yeah, we got you. Yeah. Uh, th- thank you for having me. Appreciate it. That's all good. Um, Tanner, thanks for, thanks for joining me uh, for the no podcast. Worries. And, uh, yeah, make sure... You are following us on social media, so that's Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Threads is a new one, TikTok's another one, um, and yeah, we've also got the website, of course, frontpagefootball.net, um, and yeah, stay tuned for more podcasts like this. We've got the A-League seasons around the corner, NPLs have come pretty much to a close now as well, and uh, yeah, should be some exciting times ahead, uh, but thanks once again for joining us, and until next time, it's Bye for now.